0: My well, it's eyes. like
1: what we talked about with Apple versus the UK last time. Like if someone just came to me and said, would you rather own Apple or the United Kingdom? <laughs> I don't know. It's a tough... I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to think. I'll get back to you. <laughs> this podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doodles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Hello, hello. What kind of welcome is that? I don't know, but it made me think about, can you name this song? I'm just going gonna, gonna to give you a couple lines from an old hook. Well, that's not really actually the hook. I think it's, it's like it's part of the song. Oh, contraire mon frere, don't you even go there. Me without a mic is like a beat without a snare i cannot oh it's one of those it's not it's not the song that made me fall in love with hip-hop it's not but it's the song that like turned my flywheel again it made me realize what talent could be how many mics by the fugees off the album the score it's a lauren hill epic
0: i knew it was the female artist but i couldn't figure out which one Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah
1: there you go anyway wait uh
0: is this the top albums yearly review hip de- oh. hop breakdown because uh, I'd, I'd listen to that two nerds talking about investing
1: i'm not really in, on <laughs> for that but but two investing yeah. nerds talking about hip hop oh that's way a- worse <laughs> intersectionality bro how you doing this week i'm great man that's uh cool. how about you i love that i love that pretty good we had a uh, soccer tryouts this week and so it's always a tense week stressful week yeah yeah but turned out all right it turned out just just where we thought it would so it's pretty solid i'm glad let's so a free a favorite age-old topic of mine that i was banned from talking about but then about i think a month or so ago someone else brought it up and so i was then allowed to talk about it again yeah. kathy wood yes what kathy, wood kathy, does, wood so kathy would kathy wood likes hip-hop by the way kathy wood loves hip-hop kathy wood lo- was hip-hop so i don't know about that but kathy wood runs arc arc has a variety of funds but is best known for its innovation fund and within that best known for severely amazing epic level outperformance back in 2020 and then since then not so great but this week kathy wood came out and talked about nvidia being way too expensive in fact Kathy Wood came out and said, Nvidia is priced ahead of the curve. Now, the reason I bring this up is that Kathy Wood historically has always said, I only buy stocks that are priced ahead of the curve. <laughs> no, you're not serious. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't give an exact quote, but but that that's what she always talks about. It's about innovation. It's about our research and innovation. Like we're buying ahead of what technology is about to be. And and in fact, Kathy Wood with Nvidia specifically owned uku wuku of Nvidia because Nvidia, as she stated a few years ago, was the AI stock to bet on. Yep. Yep. The reason that's that a direct this, quote. The reason that this script has flipped is that Kathy Wood sold from at least from the ARK Innovation Fund all of their Nvidia shares back in January when Nvidia was roughly it's like a little bit over a hundred. Now that Nvidia has quadrupled ish, tripled to quadrupled over the last few months, all of a sudden it's way too expensive and priced ahead of the curve. I have two lines of thought around this. One of my lines of thought is as remember last week when I said, how do you know that something's in a bubble? It's because everyone's pointing to it and saying it's not a bubble. Maybe another indicator is when Kathy Wood does say it's a bubble, that it's definitively a bubble. That's one. That's one take. The other take is that this is the most talk your book like line of thinking I've ever seen. Which of those takes is right? Neither of those takes are right.
0: But there is something that's wrong here. And it's Kathy Wood. (laughs) (laughs) I need to tell a story. Okay, so go ahead. whenever I make fun of Kathy Wood on the show, which is frequently, whenever you bring her up, pretty much, I make fun of the fact that she buys stocks with ridiculous valuations. The most ridiculous valuation since 1999 is NVIDIA right now. I've ranted about it for two weeks on the show now. <laughs> so it's the perfect stock for Kathy Wood to own because it makes no sense to own at this price. Here's the story for NVIDIA. Start of 2021, the stock was at about 130 bucks a share. It, in November of 2021 it was at 330 bucks a share mm-hmm. and in October of 2022 it was at 112 bucks a share Kathy Wood purchased up near that second <laughs> peak and sold at about in the 112 bucks a share range the reason it's at 400 bucks a share right now is cuz if it's the one stock that you want to bet bet on for AI How do you not continue to hold that hypothesis? Like, what's the name of her fund? It's... Innovation. I mean, innovation. Like, this is the most innovative stock in America, in the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the innovation industry that she coined. She's sold it at the low. Like, she has no conviction in her innovation
0: beliefs, and she's throwing darts. I mean, this just doesn't make any sense to me. Now, what... I'll tell you that what she's saying now is actually true that it's in a bubble and it's overvalued, yeah. but she didn't buy the stock based on valuation at 330 bucks a share and then sell it <laughs> at 110 bucks a share based on valuation. She bought it based on a belief and innovation and a story. So it's, it's exactly what you're saying. It's like talking out of the both sides of your mouth. It's like, well, it was in a bubble when you bought it a year ago. Then if it's in a bubble
1: now. From the get, I've wanted to root for Kathy Wood. If for no other reason, it's because having a female with star power in this industry yeah. is a rarity. That's a really good point. I'm I'm down with that. And then, <laughs> and then every time that I see Kathy Wood speak or uh, or read Kathy Wood's words. I can't root for what's on the paper or coming out of the face like that is what's so freaking difficult here. And one thing that we talked about maybe like six or seven months ago was that in a lot of ways, if you just look at the portfolio, like let's take some snapshot that Kathy would the portfolio snapshot from, let's say a year and a half ago. If you just took that snapshot, there was a chance that looking at that portfolio near the end of last year could have been interesting because of how hard some of those stocks got hit. However, because she will buy a stock one day, sell it three days later, and buy it like a week later, it's hard to bet on the portfolio manager. And so when she comes out and says things like this, I'm like, wait, and now I'm super confused at what you do and how you operate. Like, I don't know what I'm betting on at this point. And a lot of it is because of what you just said. It's like, it. I don't see how this... How do you square this circle kind of situation?
0: Yeah, the last thing there. I mean, completely to your point, she'd be fun to root for. Um, and if she had bought NVIDIA 24 months ago in the 200s or something and held it because of her strong conviction and in innovation and then unloaded it at 400 bucks a share, simply with this hypothesis we haven't seen a sock this expensive in 24 years. And I love the company, but the valuation doesn't make sense anymore. But hey, I just doubled my money. Yeah. I got the last laugh. That'd be like, stand up and applaud. And I'd be in a situation of like, listen, I can't do that. That's not my investing expertise. But I applaud you for seeing things differently and making money. But that doesn't seem to be what happened. No.
1: who? It's so confusing. It's so absolutely confusing. All right. What you got?
0: So I want to tie up a loose end from last week when we talked about stock market concentration. There's three key stats here that all came out this week, um, just to basically put a bow on that conversation. So currently the top 10 stocks in the S&P 500 make up about 35% of the index's market cap. So you own 500 stocks if you buy that, 500-ish, but 35% of those are the 10. And this week, people started throwing around the magnificent seven for the seven stocks we talked about last week. It's really concentrated.
1: The nifty five i haven't heard
0: the nifty five yet no.
1: it, it go, it's a it's a little bit of a nerd-filled throwback to the 1970s the there's a nifty 50 which rhymes right so you like it so there were like 50 stocks that were in back in the 1970s these were the like we talked about cisco 1999 2000 last time like you're a fool if you don't own these stocks i'm talking about some xerox i'm talking about some polaroid if you don't own these stocks You're silly dilly. So that was the nifty 50. So people start throwing on the nifty five. So we got, what'd you say? The Salvacious seven? What what was that that you just said? Magnificent seven. (laughs) Okay. Magnificent seven, the nifty five. (laughs) Salvacious. All right. So (laughs) Is that even even a word? I don't know, but I like it. I'm going to use it this week. On that
0: same line from the farmer French data set, they looked at what happens to a stock on the first calendar year that it enters the top 10 of the 10 most uh the, the largest market cap stocks in the US. Yep, yep. So leading up to that, you obviously have incredible performance. So uh 10 years prior to hitting that threshold, you typically uh those stocks typically return at least 10% a year. Five years before they returning almost 20% a year. And the three years before they hit that threshold of the top 10 stock, they're returning on average 25 ish percent a year so like basically one side of this graph is showing incredible performance to get to the point where you are one of the 10 most valuable companies in the united states what happens after flat to negative returns for the next three five and ten year period so typically after you become one of the 10 largest stocks in the us the next three years you perform about one percent a year is your return five years later you actually lose market cap and 10 years later you're now consistently losing market cap on average.
1: One, just one clarification that is important here, does not take away from the overall narrative, which I think is super powerful, is that in this, in this graph, it's relative performance to the overall, the Fama French total U.S. market research. Thank you. Thank you. But still, it's Um, the same, the the, uh, juxtaposition of the two sides of this graph are mind blowing. Like going from 24 percentage points over the index for three years prior to 0.7% over after, it's mind-blowing.
0: It just tells you how, I mean, you can't take the market cap of the entire index or the entire world. Like, and, and as you prove that your business is successful and profitable... Uh, competition floods the space, so Tesla is a great example of this, where the stock performed incredibly because they had this truly unique. Like, if you got in a Tesla six years ago and drove that thing around, it felt like you were in outer space. Yeah, yeah. And now, every auto manufacturer across the world. Um, one of the things uh, in Europe is gasoline is more expensive, right? I was shocked at the pretend, uh, penetration of electric vehicles. They're just crazy everywhere, And in the cities, there's a lot of places where you can park on the street and plug into like a parking meter almost, and charge your car really, almost anywhere. It's not like there's a formal station there. You could just plug in. So the Interesting. I'm bullish on that, but Tesla is yeah. a good example of why it's con- it continues to be really challenging to outperform uh, once you reach a, ma- a massive market cap.
1: And even, even if, uh, if if the numbers don't get to you, let's just think like if if the numbers we've laid out so far don't quite make it click for you, let's take this uh, in a slightly different direction. Going back to something we talked about last week, there was this quote that I'm, I'm going to paraphrase for a second. That was there's just not enough market cap. Like, think about that sometimes when you're, you're looking at some of these figures. So let's just take Apple. Apple's about two point eight trillion dollars in market cap today. I don't know exactly what how Apple performed over the last 10 years roughly but let's just say it's like 10x. It's probably not that far off, right? Something like that. Like it was an order of mag it's an order of magnitude larger than it was like a decade ago. If we go 10x for the next decade, you're talking about a 28 trillion dollar company in market cap. That's and I'm not saying that that will never happen one day, but a 28 trillion dollar company in a decade is like kind of silly to think about. And so that that just even if you don't think about it from like a yearly perspective, thinking about it in those terms, you go, OK, yeah, that's like probably not all that possible. And so it starts to make sense that taking the largest stock company uh, and, and extending it doesn't make a lot of sense. I saw a graph actually that did that. I can't remember who put it out, but someone put out a chart that was saying if you just bought the number one, like highest valued market cap stock, like what's the difference over the last is like 30 or 40 years? Like we just own that and that it's not even comparable. Versus owning the S and P 500 overall. Yeah, it's way worse. Makes sense. Makes sense.
0: So same exact logic, basically. So the last point here is is very similar. This individual Rob Anderson looked at with uh, Ned Davis Research. He looked at the seven tech mega caps, which are Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Nvidia, Meta, and Tesla. The salacious and continue looked at (laughs) looked at their current market cap which is actually larger than the following four industries, financials, all of the financial stock, <laughs> energy, all of the energy stocks, materials, obviously all the materials and industrials. So those seven stocks have more value currently than all those other. Ind- I mean, it's nonsensical. It just yeah. can't happen. Now, well, software eating the world, as a phrase has been around for a while. And yeah, this true. It's proving that software is eating the world,
1: but it's not sustainable in my eyes. It's like what we talked about with Apple versus the UK last time. Like if someone just came to me and said, would you rather own Apple or the United Kingdom? (laughs) I don't know. It's a tough... I'm (laughs) I'm going to have to think. I'll get back to you. (laughs) What kind of dividends are we talking about over the United Kingdom? That's what I'd ask. All right. I'm going to reach in the fishbowl, switch it up here. Is there something... uh... I was going to say something exciting happening this week. It's not really exciting. It's actually kind of ridiculous that this always happens. But at least we're finally seemingly getting to the next wave of the debt ceiling conversation. Every now and again, the U.S. hits this point where we are getting pretty close to not being able to pay down or pay our debts. And whatever party is not in power takes advantage of that situation to try and pass some kind of regulation that they wanted to get passed as a threat to whoever's in power. That's the lame part of this. Hopefully, Joe Biden's about to sign some document that's going to have some nonsense in it and some non nonsense so that we get past this debt ceiling thing and extended to, I think it was January 2025 is like when the when it's extended yep. to. Okay, that's the political side. What I want to bring up, though, that has to do with finances is that at this point in time, the us has about 39 billion dollars in cash it had earlier this month it had about 200 billion dollars so that's why people start to get scared as to what can happen here if you do that math it's about a 160 billion dollars that the us spends on like a monthly basis a little bit under so that's why we're saying if we don't raise this extend out whatever it might whatever we do it's going to have global implications that thirty-nine billion dollars is less money than the thirty-one richest people in the world have. So <laughs> there are thirty-one people on this planet that could currently <laughs> that could currently buy the United States cash <laughs> like off of its hands. That is, it, it's like kind of mind blowing to think about. Let's let's ignore the fact that U.S. can like print money, have more cash, and all that. But if you just think about the United States of America and it's bank account, and you are Steve Ballmer or Larry Page or Elon Musk or Michael Dell or any of these other people, you could look at your own bank account and be more impressed.
0: Uh, no. Maybe not
1: bank account. It's not, no, it's not quite like
0: this is, it's just numbers. None of this is, is meaningful. I'm, I'm <laughs> sitting over there. It's just numbers. Trying, trying to listen hard, but it's <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> it's,
0: it's when people try and compare the u.s budget to a household budget and you're like yeah but does your household have an unlimited tax base into perpetuity forever it's slightly different they spent down their cash because they were waiting on someone to renew their credit card but it doesn't it doesn't really matter i don't i'm not moved by this argument diggles it's just (laughs) okay They told you that if they didn't get a new bill, they were going to run out of money and default on some debts. We knew that. And so this is what happens when someone runs up against their
1: credit limit, their cash balances get really low, but it's not like relevant. Your point is right. Like it's not the comparisons, not apples to apples, but doesn't it feel face value ridiculous to you that there is a single human being. In fact, there are 31 of them that have been able to accumulate more wealth than the wealthiest country in the world no, has no, no, no. in its bank nope. account
0: stop Diggles. stop <laughs> this is when it talks about the wealth of these individuals that wealth is tied up in it's equities in both cases so yeah. it's not and then you're comparing it to a cash balance for the u.s you're not talking about the the wealth the relative wealth of the u.s government, the government. So you're comparing
1: apples to oranges no, because so the government, the government, I'm not talking about the people, but the government right now has something, what, like $20 trillion in debt and $38 billion in cash? Trillion. 31 yeah, trillion. Yeah, 31 trillion. Sorry, I was talking about last month. Probably taking out another 11 <laughs> trillion this month. So $31 trillion in debt and $38 billion in cash. If you were looking at a stock to buy, now, granted, you'd be like, "Oh, in perpetuity, you have blah blah blah, whatever nonsense you were talking about earlier." But if you were to look at a stock to buy, you can't compare the U.S. government to a stock. Can you, can you throw me a bone? <laughs> no, we just no, we just did, we just compared the entire country of the U.K. to a stock, <laughs> jokingly. Yeah, I'm just saying that this. Okay, all right, we we can move on because obviously, you don't have enough sense to play with this.
0: I'm going to give you a just a a do-over can
1: you just can we
0: forget about the us government's cash balances because it doesn't matter and can you tell me what's happening you know how much we love dollar stores i didn't get a chance to do a deep dive on dollar general this week but i think you did can you give me the breakdown there
1: yeah so so i disclaimer i own dollar general stock have for a few years now
0: Oh, so this take is going to be garbage because you're completely no. biased. No, no, no. It's,
1: it's the... <laughs> no, it's the, it's the reason. Yeah, t- two garbages in a row. Is that what you're setting <laughs> up for me? It's the reason why I ended up just like looking at this in, in more detail. Maybe not the only reason, but a reason. So Dollar General announced earnings this week, and the stock had its worst performing day in its history. It went down by like 20% afterwards. And what is most fascinating to me today, I can give you some numbers if that's interesting. But what's most fascinating here is that we've discussed in the past how this is a, I'll say interesting time, but precarious time for consumers potentially because debt is going up, they're spending down savings. As the, the COO of JP Morgan says, a recession will happen at some point, which is just true. You can't really argue that. Uh, and so with a potential recession looming, this is the time where folks say dollar stores or low-priced low, low priced retailers in general, of which dollar stores are one, are supposed to thrive. Like during downturns, they're supposed to thrive. However, that is not what has been happening. Same store sales for Dollar General and Dollar Tree announced a couple of weeks ago, and it's fairly similar, are going down. They're lowering their, their revenue forecast. Uh, margins are going down, like the dollar stores are getting hit pretty hard right now. And they're saying that a lot of it has to do with inflation, which is causing a couple things to occur. One is that the lower income consumer is buying either less stuff or lower margin stuff. Mm-hmm. And the higher end consumer is not coming, is not coming down market enough to be buying the goods that are at these stores. It's a different kind – I don't want to say this time is different because I don't mean it the way that folks are saying it, but it's like a different – it's a different set of circumstances than we've had to deal with during other um, – what is this? It's not a downturn exactly, but like slow times, I think. And it's hard to figure out what exactly to do with that. It continues to be like a schizophrenic
0: economy because the jobs report that came out last week was off the charts. mind Markets blew up because of it. and. um Everything seems great. I was pulling up Dollar General. The, the thing I like most about this story is there become these talking points that people say so much they seem true, and it's, but there's a lack of critical thought behind them. So I've heard a thousand people say stores like uh, TJ Maxx, like Dollar General, are recession proof, right? Oh, well, that's a good, that's where people go. It's great in economic boom times and it's great in a recession maybe, maybe not. Like what's the valuation of the current stock? What dynamics are currently priced in? What's your starting point, right? Did the stock start out expensive or start out cheap? And we're at a place where whatever happened for the last recession, if that's where we're going with this debate is like not necessarily comparable to the starting point of what might happen at this this downturn, this recession. So it's not really apples to apples in terms of dollar stores being a great place to be
1: when the market slows down and to one of the points that you I'm going to just hit on again one of the points you raised is around expectations and what's already been priced in yeah because if the expectations are that a stock is going to outperform during a downturn people buy that stock in anticipation of it outperforming during a downturn (laughs) and so if it just performs during a downturn it's overvalued right quote unquote um so i think that's exactly right so the stock getting hit is is what it is right a 20 percent drop you know is it overreaction who knows whatever is what it is the numbers behind it the fundamentals though i do think are interesting like them lowering forecasts and whatnot from a a what the heck is happening in the economy right now i do think is quite interesting I saw another graph, I'm gonna try and pull it up while we're here that isn't dollar store specific, but it was just talking about where people are uh, spending or cutting back. Here, give me a second to, to pull this up.
0: Well, while you're doing that, um, I just did a really quick like back of the envelope valuation yeah. on Dollar General for, for a deep value investor like me. A Couple months ago, well, in November, it was at $255 a share. I'd probably start to get interested around 130 bucks a share, which is almost half the price it was six months ago. It's currently trading at 166 It has pulled back a little and it's at more standard valuation metrics. Like, yeah. it, it just kind of
1: got out above its skis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's exactly right. So there's a graph that came out of the McKinsey American Opportunity Survey. So McKinsey the consulting firm maybe like two or three years ago, I can't remember, started putting out this twice a year survey where they ask people, how do you feel about the um, your economic prospects? How do you feel about opportunity in America, et cetera? And the one that came out in December shows Americans are spending more and cutting back. And so this gets to the point that even Dollar General brought up uh, that I said a minute ago, that's around people are they're either cutting back in certain categories um, or spending in lower margin categories. Mm -hmm. So what this shows is that with things like, as you would guess, entertainment, clothing, and debt payments, which seems (laughs) I maybe wouldn't have guessed that, um, folks are doing more cutting back. Uh, And then areas like groceries, they're also cutting back. Transportation, they're cutting back so the way that consumers are spending right now is super tricky for a a cross function or not cross functional like cross category retailer right now like how how do you end up in a low margin business trying to figure this out when consumers are trying to figure it out on their own so we'll put this uh this graph in addition to the the dollar general stuff on monday on the substack it, it's a wild time i think economically right now to like figure out what what's going on
0: I figured you'd be excited about customers cutting back on debt payments what's that well that's got to be (laughs) Diggle's people covering less of their credit card bills yes and what that means is is a challenge i know total credit card balances just went above a trillion bucks for the first time ever Now that that's that's kind of meaningless because it just means there's more money available today than there have been historically because things cost more but um that will be fascinating to
1: watch the consumer credit crunch You know who has less money available today relative to their debt? Who? The U.S. government. And if you compare that to the net worth... Okay, never mind. No, I'm not going back there. I'm joking. I'm joking. All right. Uh, What do you got next in the fishbowl?
0: You're the the startup and uh, venture capital expert on the show, because I'm certainly not. We've lamented how... By default. (laughs) By default. (laughs) We've lamented how it was uh, nice when... VCs used to pay our Uber bills effectively and our Lyft bills because they subsidized yep. it all. They did the same with uh, food delivery apps, which, it, you know, it was often like free delivery or very cheap delivery. So uh, to try and get a threshold, uh, foothold in the space, uh, they did that. Here's a breakdown of current customer costs versus restaurant payouts. And then the breakdown of how much money goes to the driver and how much money goes to the app for three popular delivery services. So first, I'm going to give you what happens if you buy the order and pick it up at the restaurant. Probably cost you about 22 bucks and the restaurant keeps $20.50 of that. Obviously, there's no driver payout or app payout, right? So that's best for the restaurant by a long shot. If I order something comparable with Uber Eats, the total cost is going to be more like $28. The restaurant might keep 15 of that the driver might get eight bucks and the app might get three bucks. Okay. So total cost went up six bucks. Uh, the restaurant got screwed for lack of a better word because <laughs> they lost six bucks and then the driver made eight bucks and the app took a little bit. Yeah. I'm still shocked. The app even takes
1: three bucks. Okay. Can we pause yeah. for a moment or do yeah. you want to finish? I'm happy. No, we, keep going. Keep going. Because the, There are a few things that go through my mind here. The broader point that I think you're making is these businesses are not sustainable, (laughs) like very obviously the two other things that come to mind. As I, I look at this graph are as a consumer might be chilling on the couch and, and be like, uh, you know what? Let's support a local restaurant. So fire up Uber eats, find that local restaurant and order. And the concept that if I spend $28.38 on whatever meal I just bought, that the restaurant is getting half of it. Doesn't mm-hmm. go through my mind as the consumer. Like, am I even support? I mean, yes, there's some support, but could I easily just like call the restaurant or like drive over to the restaurant myself? You know, like there's a, yeah if they don't have
0: delivery. There, so there's point number one, which is if your goal is actually to support the restaurant, I think most people's goal is I'm watching the NBA finals, shout out Nuggets, <laughs> by the way, and I want some, I want some chicken wings right now. Uh, that's it. So yes. But if your goal is to support the restaurant, you'll see the other examples I'm going to walk through get worse for supporting the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that doesn't work. It's not really sustainable for the restaurant. And I would argue uh, I don't know that sustainability is the right way to think about it, but I would argue from the customer's perspective, it doesn't make a ton of sense, too. So let's go to Grubhub. Right, same order that costs you twenty two bucks if you pick it up at the restaurant, It cost you thirty one dollars, and the restaurant only gets twelve dollars of that. <laughs> the driver payout is about seven bucks, and the app keeps nine dollars. How does the app? Keep, how is the app worth nine dollars? When again, like I could go to the restaurant's <laughs> website and or I don't, I don't understand it. Uh, DoorDash is similar. It's like, it costs you 25 bucks. The restaurant would only keep 10 of it. How this just doesn't make sense to me. Cause if you're the VC, when you originally funded this idea, it's like, great. And you know that you think the economics are going to turn at some point, but basically go back to Grubhub. You're saying the total delivery charge between the driver payout and the app payment is $16. And looking at the driver payout tip your drivers well so that's my whole thing is this this is not a win-win-win this is a lose 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 the driver doesn't make enough money for this to be worthwhile uh, long term it doesn't seem uh the restaurant doesn't make enough money when they operate with low margins anyway i mean maybe the apps are all right because once you build the thing it's scalable so maybe the only winner here is the delivery apps
1: Maybe, but they're not making money. No. Just putting a pure capitalist business hat on here for a second, folks. If you have driverless cars <laughs> that are delivering all these things at some point in the future, and so then you add the $369 from Uber Eats that, they currently, that Uber currently makes, plus the 843 and the so Uber is now making $12 instead of $369, Maybe in that world, the business value actually exists. But from what I see from like DoorDash's 10K highlights, they're not really making money. They're grabbing revenue market share and not making a lot of money. So I, I don't know if this works for anybody.
0: Yeah. I mean, except I'll tell for you, you eating
1: your chicken wings and watching the Nuggets game.
0: Yeah, which maybe that's what matters, um, you know, in the all important me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you where this works. And it's worked for 40 years. And this is because I used to deliver pizzas, right? One of my first jobs, delivering pizzas. That works all the way around. So the pizza place gets way more orders because they offer delivery. The delivery drivers of the pizza place are often the best paid employee because tips, and it doesn't have to be a crazy tip. It could be two, three bucks per order. And then the thing that's built in with the pizza is like, you can feed multiple people, couple, three, four pizzas can feed a big group of people. Right? Yep. So there's like these built-in economics. They also travel well, where the restaurant pays a little subsidy. It's almost like marketing to offer that service. They often will discount the cost for carryout orders, which is effectively subsidizing the delivery of it. That all works. Like that system is so tried and true. Yep. that I don't really know why people try to mess with it because other things don't deliver as well and the economics don't really make sense. If I'm buying myself a burrito, <laughs> what it feeds one person.
1: Is that worth $16 yeah. in transit costs? It's just not. If you go back to uh, Postmates, right? Postmates was, I think they were bought by Uber, pretty sure. And it was a service that would deliver anything to you. So you're like, I want a Post-it note. I need a pen, whatever, like whatever it might be (laughs) going to your point, it's the delivery model doesn't work for any unit of good. Like it, it, because the, the, I'll call it fixed cost, even the variable cost, but like the costs of delivery just don't equate for like a pen. But if you have something like a, a pizza that has like multiple use cases for multiple people for like, it's a, you get the volume aspect there and it lasts a lot longer when uh, when my wife goes out of town for a weekend, the moment, like the second she steps out the door, my son looks at me with a little mischievous face and goes, Domino's? <laughs> because that's the time when we're allowed to have it. And we oh, order God. that pizza. Yeah. My wife will come back and be like, what'd you eat? And be like, every meal was Domino's. Because we, we'd we order like on special. It wasn't like we ordered Domino's multiple times. <laughs> like you could eat for the whole on that. And it's got its fruits and the tomato. Anyway, we don't. I don't need to.
0: Oh uh, yeah, fruits. It's got like the lava cake brownies, and then <laughs> all sorts of veggies, which are you know like the cheese sticks. And, all sorts yeah. of veggies. It's like all sorts. Basically, slam dunk, home <laughs> <Yeah>. run. <laughs> oh, we have some quick listener mail.
1: If we got listener mail, let's hit that jingle. Hit that jingle.
0: This is a shout out from Adam and it is not investing advice. It's a research recommendation. Dougals. I want you to pull this up on your, your screen, okay. type in three of my favorite letters, MMM and tell that Google machine to give you some, some facts. So you this is like 3M ratios, financial ratios. Yeah, just, just give it a, a cursory. Look over, uh, we got a tip this week to look at 3M and it's an interesting look. So those who follow the stock and that's not me, um, I'm starting to do some research. 3M consistently gets rated as a wide moat stock using Morningstar uh, terminology. Okay. So it's yearly range. It's been as high as 152. It's now was all the way down in the the 90s and then it popped 9% uh, on Friday. So maybe um, it's popping here. Current dividend yield is about 6%. Who knows if that will stay? But it's a very interesting one to look at because, like I said, people consistently say that it's a quality stock with a huge moat and the valuation has come down significantly. Current price to cash flow is around 10, price to sales at 1.2, current ratio is at 1.4, strong cash on hand, and price to earnings that cheap. range of 11 it's not dirt cheap. Like it's not a deep value stock, but it's yeah. also, this is why I talked about the moat first and foremost, because mm-hmm. it's thought of as this company that doesn't have a fair competitor in the space. And so those companies don't nearly get as cheap. Yeah. It's just something that came across my radar that I wanted to throw out as a research recommendation, because I think there's a lot of
1: layers of the onion to peel here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll i take a little bit of a deeper look too, do my own research. Yeah, it's one of those stocks that if the, if the price were to go up like 2% a year, you still get a pretty solid return as long as the dividend sticks.
0: Absolutely, and I don't think it's a guarantee that the dividend sticks. This is where it's one that I'm putting on my mental radar and gonna watch for the next six months. If it dips into that $70 per share range, um, that would probably be an entry point for me. But it's like, in the deep value world where I play, often you're buying this, this garbage cause it's cheap. Like it's just so cheap that I can't look away. This is one where the company is thought of favorably by almost all who cover it and all who know the products well. Now I know there's a lawsuit out there. There's some other things. Like read the 10K people. It's just a research recommendation. But it's a very interesting one uh to keep an eye on going forward. Thank you, Adam.
1: Appreciate that. Sure. Deeply appreciate we- that. And this week, that, let me just give a little let me give a little shout out. Right. At- uh to myself I guess this week <laughs> <laughs> uh this week on the on the substack you'll be getting my latest 16f <laughs> just to make up a number uh, cuz it's not a 13f but I'll be putting out my q1 uh situation there of like stock performance what the portfolio looks like etc so if you're interested check that out it'll be coming out probably a little bit later this week
0: do you call that the Dougal's ark innovation fund or dark (laughs) it's dark (laughs) is your performance dark these days (laughs) oh man all right guys um please share the show with a friend this week and hit skippy doogles.com for all things skippy doogles listener mail is skippy doogles at gmail.com we'll see you next week thank you